Rick Madison, Rick and Friends, and uh, thank you for listening. Today we have somebody that, you know, as I've gone to different events, for some reason, this 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 charity group, this this group, this momentum, this entity continues to uh, to rise up and I keep hearing more and more about it. And 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 the person associated with Mamas for Mamas always keeps coming up too. So Shannon Christensen, welcome to the big show. Thank you very much, Rick James. <laughs> it's our little nickname for you. It's yeah, a thing. We, we do the thing. It's fine. So I, I do I want to talk to you about the the Mamas has tremendous momentum across Canada. That's right. And again, we've been talking about this too, is that you are the founder, the visionary, but you have to, you almost have to let it go a little bit for it to grow. So so what's going on? You you birth a baby. All right, let me just throw this in an analogy that most people could understand. If they're a mom or a dad, you have a baby, right? You love that baby so much and it is your whole world. It's everything you think about from the minute you wake up to the minute you go to bed. And then they go into preschool and you've got a little bit more time to start looking after yourself and wondering like, outside of being a mama, or in my case, big mama, who am I? What do I want to contribute to the world? And how do I really want to, you know, engage in my time outside of just my work? Well, when you're the founder of an organization, your work is your life and your life is your work. And you have to just kind of roll with that for a certain amount of time. But once your baby is now in, let's say, middle school, you got to figure out what to do outside of your identity being tied to how you look after this human, this being. And I've started to, like any parent, really fight that. You know, at that 13 and 14-year-old stage, I'm like, no, no, you still need me. And they're like, no, mom, I got a ride. I'm good. You know, I've got, I I have a job. (laughs) I'm making my own money. Like I got, and I'm thinking, but wait, I'm, I'm not ready for you to be done with me yet. And parents that make it all about themselves when they're raising their children at that age group, they, they push their kids away. They get into a space where they're always in this power struggle, this, this dynamic of, but it's all about, I birthed you, right? I created you. And as a founder, it's really quite similar in the sense where you're like, well, no, I built you. I, I birthed you quite literally, you know, and I want to see you grow in every way that I believe you should. Well, teenagers need autonomy in order to be successful. So do organizations. And in turning it from the Big Mama show to the Mamas for Mamas show, it becomes this really beautiful, generalizable feeling that you have that's not associated with just a person because one person can't be everywhere. But Mamas for Mamas can be everywhere. It's in your neighbor that's looking after you. It's in the teacher that notices that you don't have enough lunch and reaches out to make sure that you do. So Mamas for Mamas is graduating from her master's degree right now, and she doesn't need me anymore all day, every day. She needs to be able to call me anytime. She needs to be able to check in with me. I'm still creeping her hard on social media. I tell you what, you know, I know what my daughter's up to all day, every day, but my daughter's now had five babies Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to keep up with those babies. So to be the best mama I can be and the best Nana, which is such a trip that I can be to all of these beautiful beings that we've created that are now Mamas for Mamas, the best gift you can give something when you love it is to set it free and allow the other big mamas in their areas to shine. We have incredible human beings on our team, and I want them to be as associated with the name Mamas for Mamas as the name Shannon Christensen. So the interesting thing was, I would say even, I would even say a year or two years ago, 
there was a there was a danger of if anything happened to Shannon, mm-hmm. the organization died on the vine. For sure. And 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 that was probably a very real threat. Was well, if it, if you moved, you know, if you changed paths or anything else. Not saying your health is in disarray. It's not. No. But, but I, <laughs> Thanks for that, Rick. <laughs> but I do think that that is the worry yeah. as a founder is, okay, if I go, is this still going to stay? Well, that was a huge fear. And actually, I was swept out into the ocean in 2018 for almost an hour into a riptide at midnight. And I honestly didn't know if I was coming home. And it was a real danger. When I came home, we built a succession plan. We started really creating... Uh, what it would look like without Shannon. And that's not because I'm not always going to be here. I plan to be here until my last breath. Okay, you know, but, mamas but, will never be rid of me. Okay, but back up <laughs> to the riptide. I know, right? It was There was an article about it, all right? You guys wrote one. Like, I, like I'm not making this up. So I, um, the, the advice I got from someone who was caught in a riptide and, and people in his party, some did not make it, mm-hmm. is he said, you have to go diagonal. That was exactly it. Yep. Now, did did you remember that during that moment of distress that you have to go diagonal? You can never you no. can never swim into a riptide. No, I remembered my mom, who was my swimming teacher when I was growing up, and she always said, uh, "If you feel like you're drowning, stop fighting, mm. because you will drown." <laughs> and I was trying to stay above the waves, and I was just I was really you know. It it took seconds and all of a sudden, you know, it was black everywhere. I couldn't see the shore. My husband was searching for me. I was four resorts down by the time I washed up on the shore uh, about an hour later. And I was just, I stayed as calm as I could. And I kept taking as many breaths as I could. And I just floated. And I just kept thinking about my kids. And Mamas for Mamas was one of them. But I mean, my two boys were primary. Let's be real. I was like, I got to get home to Jimmy, to Jacob. I also have to get back to the beach because usually when a woman goes missing on vacation, the husband does not fare so well. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny now. It's only funny now. (laughs) But really, that, that, uh, that was really just after we became a registered charity. And it made me realize, even though Mamas is something that I built, it's something that thousands, hundreds of thousands are now invested in. And we need to make sure they can continue to be invested in it. And it was the hardest damn thing I've ever done in my life, Rick, was to set her free, mm-hmm. you know, to hire a new director of operations, bring on that board report, create a bit of that separation, which inevitably removes some power. But when you're not worried about who gets the credit and you're just truly worried about who's getting the help, power is irrelevant. Each diamond is uniquely different. It is special and beautiful because of its rarity. That is the power and magic of a diamond. A new store in Kelowna is open to showcase this symbol of love and commitment. Herrera, fine jewelry. The name in Latin means rare and exceptional. Much like a diamond is extraordinary and rare. Just like her. Herrera, fine jewelry. Featuring Takuri, Noam Carver, Burks, and Simon G. Jewelry. So is it, it's got to be tough though, when you see certain messaging, you see certain things and you go, geez, I wouldn't have done it that way. Is that- do Doesn't you- happen. Well, okay. Okay. It <laughs> yeah. doesn't not happen. But if it does happen, um, I usually am proud because I realized that even though it wasn't necessarily what I would have done, generally the output is better. The mm-hmm. outcome is better. And there's a reason that I've hired people who I believe have got an incredible skill set, and it's because I believe that they should use it. And if I'm trying to micromanage somebody who I've hired to do something because I don't know how to do it, I feel like that's a pretty silly waste of my time. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, like surround yourself with uh, the smartest people you can be the dumbest person in the room and you'll always be the smartest version of you. It's, it's a good point. And, and I think uh, you had mentioned something about subscription and you oh, said yeah. that that was not something that you advocated for, but then all of a sudden it's grown into something and that wasn't your idea. No, well, that's exactly it. So, you know, we had all sorts of ideas about, you know, building a let's a social enterprise. I won't go into details yet because for my team's sake, I'm going to keep it under wraps until it's actually formally announced. Look at me leveling up. Look at you. Okay? Look at me leveling up. up. So fast. I know. It's just. The founders grow you know? so fast. <laughs> See, Steph, I can do it. <laughs> but it was about, I had a really specific vision about a social enterprise. Mm-hmm. How can we bring in different sources of revenue for Mamas for Mamas? We had two sources of revenue when the pandemic hit. We're up to 11 right now. I'd like to see us at 15 by the end of 2023. And it really just allows us to scale more effectively. It allows us to be um, really focused on still solving problems like a mama, but really running it like a business. And if you're spending all of your time and energy fundraising and working with donors and reporting on things, you do not have the time to do the work. And so instead of, you know, expecting to be able to hire somebody to do all that kind of work, when you're the one who's got the mission and the vision and, and the words and you want to be able to share that, you create social enterprises, you create passive revenue streams, you create ways where other companies that want to make a difference in the world and need to make a difference in the world have the privilege of doing so with an organization like Mamas for Mamas that they can stand beside proudly, knowing that we have a 16% overhead. And just about every cent that we raise goes right back into, you know, changing the landscape of poverty, not here in our community only, but all across Canada. And so, you know, taking the idea of, We could make two bucks off of uh, every $10 candle. You know, we're now looking at, well, how do we build an app that is going to, and this is not the idea I shouldn't share, so I can say this one. Okay. All right. So this is, let's build an app and let's do a digital social worker component, not like BC211, which is fantastic, but this is a digital social worker built into a comprehensive care plan that sends out to the back end into our Salesforce system, a plan that we can follow up with you. And we can see 25 people in the same amount of time that we can see one right now. So really, well, I think a really fantastic way to scale the amount of clients we can see, but it's also good for men who traditionally would prefer to do something a little more autonomously, build out their own plan and then bring it to someone for support. Just what we have found, more dads would be more in line with that kind of a thing. Anyway, side note. So we're going to build the app, white label it and sell the actual app and the the software on the back end for these other nonprofits, for these other organizations that want something similar. So instead of building an app and selling ad space, we're building the app, we're going to white label it, we're going to sell that and we're going to bring in hundreds of thousands of dollars rather than tens of dollars. Which is important when you think about time resources, because during my time with Big Brothers Big Sisters, you quickly realize that time is a very precious commodity and you only have so much time to dedicate to that space. So what you end up doing is you do start fishing for the bigger fish, for the more sustainable fish where you start going, okay, how do I do this? So I'm not just doing event after event after event, which completely depletes any organization. And if you ever do true cost accounting on what an event costs staff (laughs) and energy, (laughs) you really start to realize that the, the numbers are not as great as we might think. Oh, absolutely. And so when you can have something, and we had Al Hildebrandt on the the show, and he was talking about the fact that he's trying to to build out a lot of organizations and make them realize passive income so that they're not consistently just 
tuckering themselves out, trying to reach for these few dollars here, a few dollars there. Because yeah. I would imagine you get pulled in a bunch of different directions. Like you have to do podcasts and everything. Oh, my God. <laughs> podcasts with Rick James. I was on the radio this morning with Casey Clark. Um, no, you know, I do a lot more media in my current role. It is uh, definitely a bigger part of being the chief vision officer and the national coordinator, essentially, of all of the media and the way that we share our, our mission and our vision. Um, but there are so many pulls on our time and I don't think that corporations and companies really understand how arduous it is to report back on every single dime that we are given. Like we are happy to do it annually. We will give you all the reports and all the land, but when there are arduous, um, kind of time constraints on us to report back for them, it actually prevents us from providing that poverty relief service to our clients. And, um, at the end of the day, as much as we appreciate it, um, like you said, true cost accounting. Um, and are we, are we, you know, making the best use of our time? Of course we are. If we are receiving funds to give to families, um, we'll do whatever we can to automate those systems, to encourage direct access to information so that they can see in real time what's happening. But, you know, even our social media, we're one of the bigger social media accounts in charity and it t- it's a full-time job. Oh, yeah. You know, you do be, want to stay on top of it. Oh, yeah. man. Like, it's, we just hired a gal. So great. I just love her. Her name's Sophie. Um, she's like quite young. So I'm learning that Jay Leno is not a term we can use to reflect back anymore. Um, <laughs> or, she, or Johnny Carson. Right. Like, yeah, no. Uh, ended a, an email with Slay, Serve, Survive. I totally jacked it. It's amazing. I just love her. Anyway, we finally, after five years, hired a social media person because. You know, I've got this great partnership director, Stephanie, she, but she does national partnership coordinating with, you know, Toys R Us and big, big brands. Roger and then off Campbell. This, oh, yeah. yeah. Like, but off the side of her desk, she's like, oh, and, you know, thank you so much to so-and-so for helping us with the chickens today. Like, and but we want to give you a shout out for the chickens. You know, thank you, Mission Group, for helping us build Cluckington Palace. The, you know, <laughs> we love you. But to have... Sophie there to capture the, the photos with us. To and make capture sure, the moments. To capture the moments that we can then be in and enjoy and reflect back on instead of having been behind a camera for. So that's the kind of reporting that we're really getting more into is that experiential reporting. You want to see what's going on? Come on out. You want to see what's happening? Join the karma market. But but good good on you because social media can obviously be your narration. It can be your messaging. It can be a whole bunch of things. It resonates with the public. But what I find interesting is a lot of businesses I work with often say, well, we'll just do social media. Like, well, Bob will do social media for us. And he's great because he's he's got a really new phone and everything else. And I- Bob likes I, TikTok. Bob, Bob in that TikTok, I'll tell you. Yes. So what's interesting though, is people don't realize you have to put resources behind social media. Is it free? Yes. But do you have to dedicate time and energy and resources? Yes, because if you want to do it well, and those that do it well, you can see they've invested in the space and they actually understand this could be very big, but you you can't just throw it off to somebody that's mildly interested, doesn't really know. Bob with the iPhone. Well, and, and Bob is real good. Bob's real nice, but I his mean, iPhone's not going to do the work for him he's there. He's got three lenses on he's that got, iPhone. Well, you know, I think he's got four, but four lenses don't mean anything if you don't have the right content, Rick. 
Well, if you got low light conditions, even Bob won't be able to get her done. Even Bob's going to have a hard time. But you know what? I've had my own hard times, okay, with Bab and my own oh, iPhones. Bab. Oh, Bab. But really, though, no, here, here's what it looked like, all right? I'd be up at six. I would be drafting a social media post, and then I'd get an email that a mom was in need. Um, she was going to be homeless as of noon that day. And then my social media post went to the side. I'm on the call with the social workers, mm-hmm. and they're like, all right, we've got $800 as a budget. You know, that's nothing in Kona for a place to live. Obviously, we need to find a supplement. Okay, can we do this supplement? Can we do this supplement? Can we do homeless prevention? Nope, too high risk. Can we do this one? Nope, too high risk. So we often are in a situation where we're in the middle of doing some donor stewardship or literally in the meeting with a donor and we're running out to go and help a mom. Um, I'm just grateful that the donors we work with are more happy to see us run out to help that mom than they are upset that we have to leave the meeting. Those right. are the kind of people that that fit really well into the mama's culture. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're incredibly grateful for the community stepping up to support the mom next door to them, uh, whether it's through Mamas for Mamas or not. You know, at the end of the day, we've got just over 900,000 donations going on every six months between moms on these Facebook groups across Canada. So it's not just the organizations with these physical branches that are making a massive impact. It is mom to mom. It is dad to dad. It's neighbors who are looking over to make sure they've got enough, you know? Which is super cool. It's pretty super cool. It's super cool. It's pretty cool. (laughs) Each diamond is uniquely different. It is special and beautiful because of its rarity. That is the power and magic of a diamond. A new store in Kelowna is open to showcase this symbol of love and commitment. Herrera, fine jewelry. The name in Latin means rare and exceptional. Much like a diamond is extraordinary and rare, just like her. Herrera, fine jewelry. Featuring Takuri, Noam Carver, Burks, and Simon G. Jewelry. The other side, though, that's kind of interesting is as a founder who, who fundamentally was in the trenches doing the work. Yeah. Um, I do find when people go into board positions with different charities, they struggle because they don't have that that relationship, that direct impact with the end user of a program. Mm. And they go to a governance program right. and they're like, I, I feel unconnected to the organization. Does that ever happen for you as a founder visionary where, where really you're looking globally, right. you're trying to look globally. But then you get pulled into the minutia of having to deal with, you know, a mom right. who's who's obviously in need. But I find that certain founders, board people especially, yeah. even counselors who can't talk to city staff, yeah. don't understand <laughs> that they can't necessarily go into the weeds. They have That's to it. stay up, globally look at the horizon. Is that is that been a it's struggle a for you? Oh, for sure. So like I was in the weeds for, I'd say, the first four years. I'm a forensic social worker by training, so I was literally the social worker seeing the moms. Um, I was a sexual assault trauma counselor as I was building mamas, so I was already in the trenches, and it just became a little bit more administrative. You know, I started doing a little bit more paperwork, finding a little bit more of that resource navigation, and it, it really... It was one of the hardest things I've ever done was to walk away from being on the front lines. It's where I felt I was the most productive. It's where I felt... I was uh, the best, you know, it's where it was the highest, best and best use of my time. But then I started working with this really great HR lady in town here who was coaching me on my like development, my CEO development, my mindset around like, do I want to be the CEO? Do I want to be the CVO? Uh, do I want to be a in the C-suite? Like, well, who do I want to be to mamas? And I said, no, I don't want to be in the weeds anymore, but I want to be in the trees. 
looking at the weeds. I want to see everything happening in those in those weeds. And I want to make sure if they get tangled that I can jump down fast enough to untangle them and then I'll get back up into my flipping tree, you know. <laughs> but I don't do as good a work in the weeds as I do in the trees. I can bring in a hundred new ways to fix the weeds when I'm up in the trees. I can maybe find one or two when I'm down there. But the hardest thing for me to realize was that I was more effective in like a management position than I was in a frontline position. So it's interesting. There was a story about a football player who was drafted by the NFL and he was reading books to kids and it was in a tough part of Harlem and he was, you know, showing up every Tuesday and reading these books and a reporter asked him, he says, so, so you're basically turning aside these 30 kids that you read to and Tuesday to go pursue your dream and, and good on you. I know the money's good. And, and the football player, who's, who's very worldly to answer it this way, saying, listen, I, these kids mean everything to me, but I know that if I make $4 million in the NFL, I can help these kids and a whole bunch of kids. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just looking at the higher purpose, which is literacy for a whole bunch of kids. There and, it is. and that was just it. Like he just there said- There it is. How many just, classrooms could he go read to? Exactly. Individually. Exactly. It's only Brilliant. one person. But then he realized, okay, my scale is is on the football field. There it is. And that's going to help a bunch of kids. Well, and that's it. And, you know, if you'd have told me 10 years ago that I was going to be doing primarily fundraising as my job, I would have probably smacked you right in the face. <laughs> but you put, you put the fun in fundraising. <laughs> the fun in fundraising, indeed. But, you know, I'm, I'm not a, an administrator. I'm a doer. I'm I'm a thinker, I'm a believer, like I'm a vision kind of gal. I like to really challenge the way that we currently see systems and how they hold us back. So administration is kind of like a bad word to me, <laughs> um, but it's also something I've realized I'm actually quite good at. And so what do you do for something you love is, well, you figure out what you're best at and you do that for them. Mm-hmm. So what I know for sure is that I can bring in the funds for mamas, for mamas, and I can bring on people who are really good at managing those funds. I can bring on people who are really good at putting process behind how we distribute those funds. Uh, Biggest thing for me is keeping our administrative rate really low. Um, And it's not because I don't believe that people in charity should be paid or paid well. I do believe that we should be paid for the job we're doing. You know, absolutely. They're they're my freaking heroes. These people and everybody in nonprofit, they're working for half of what everyone else does in the for-profit world and getting half the amount of respect. I see you people working in nonprofit. (laughs) I do. And I need you to know that because I'm not sure you're getting told nearly enough that what you do is incredibly important. So hear it from me. What you do is incredibly important. Good. Let me say that again, Rick. What you do is incredibly important. My wife works at the food bank. So trust me, I help the food bank every month. Well, and and that's the whole thing though, is it's like, you got to find a way to to make fundraising fun. And that's what I think Mamas for Mamas has brought into the industry a little bit is the party on purpose. And yeah, like, you know, there's a certain degree of that that you want to keep, you got to keep your blazer on, you know, you got to mm-hmm. keep your, your, your poop in a group. You want to make sure that you're presenting your ducks in a row, your ducks in a row. I ha- <laughs> oh, right. You know that I had duck on me today, but at the same time, people are tired of the stuffy experience of fundraising. They're tired of the same old event, the same old presentations. It's not that the nonprofits putting these on aren't doing a great job. It's that it's the same thing. And if nonprofits doing the same thing over the last however many times, or if government doing the same thing worked, then we wouldn't be having to fundraise. Let's talk about the gala, but let's take a quick break. Uh, coming back with Shannon Christensen from Mamas for Mamas, visionary founder 
and, and be all end all. Each diamond is uniquely different. It is special and beautiful because of its rarity. That is the power and magic of a diamond. A new store in Kelowna is open to showcase this symbol of love and commitment. Herrera, fine jewelry. The name in Latin means rare and exceptional. Much like a diamond is extraordinary and rare, just like her. Herrera, fine jewelry. Featuring Takuri, Noam Carver, Burks, and Simon G. Jewelry. I realize that for a lot of people listening to the big show, and thank you for listening, is that we haven't really explained Mamas for Mamas. I like we haven't, not. we haven't, we dove into stuff because we're old friends we do and that. We, we do that. And then we get to talk in. So, <laughs> so why don't you just kind of give your quick, your Little elevator, spiel. Your, Little sh- spiel. your spiel. Well, Mamas for Mamas is a specialized poverty relief agency and an all-inclusive community for caregivers. We envision a future where no mama or child is left behind. And when I use the word mama, it's a term for caregiver. You know, when I started it, it was a Facebook group uh, run by me and giving out clothes for my garage. So, you know, it wasn't the most inclusive term, but it does represent all caregivers, men, women, you name it. Okay. Okay. Thank you for that. Of course. Now... I know you as this uh, effervescent, flamboyant person <laughs> who sometimes doesn't fit into a corporate mold. Really? Yes. What? I know. No way. I know. Stop. And 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 sometimes when when my light shines, obviously I I can offend people, which <laughs> is fine. Uh, but is it? It's got to be tough because the founder of of Mamas for Mamas. I mean. Your 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 brand, your fire has built an organization, but it also can, you know, some people it might rub the wrong way. Oh yeah, for sure. Does that does that hurt? Does that criticism hurt if that ever comes up? It about? hurts my feelings for sure. <laughs> like I was gonna come Are up you with a something person? really <laughs> I was gonna try and come up with something really um deep there. But like at the end of the day, I'm I'm a woman, I'm a human, I'm a person. And yeah, it hurts my feelings when people don't like me, but I also understand I'm a lot, you know, I'm incredibly passionate and um, I don't like when barriers get in my way when it comes to helping moms and changing the way that we address poverty relief systems in Canada. So, you know, there's a pretty good chance that I'm going to like just about everybody I meet. Um, There's also a really good chance that that might not be mutual and that's okay because Mamas for Mamas, like I said, is her own entity. She's this beautiful, amazing being. And it's like if I had a child, right? Not everybody has to like everybody's mother, Mm -hmm. um, but you got to respect her. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing is, you know, we've we've developed a really cool organization and it takes fire to build things that don't burn down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, good, good analogy. Right. The pandemic uh, really showed that where, you know, we had like three part time staff and one physical branch in 2019. And since then, we've grown to 45 staff members and five branches across Canada. And we only continue to grow more than 100% year over year in revenue and services provided. And, you know, really, at the end of the day, that that takes somebody who's willing to say, it's all right, if you don't agree with everything that we're putting out there when it comes to who Shannon is as a person, for mm-hmm, example. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some pretty strong belief systems. I generally share them in my inner circles. But if it's out there in the world and you don't like that I have a certain belief system, 
Um, but you have the critical thinking capacity to separate me as a person from Mamas for Mamas, the organization. Um, it really shows that um, general maturity of uh, human beings understanding the humanness and the the real grit of what it means to be human. And I think that it takes a lot of um, grace for individuals on the outside to assume the best. And it's just generally the case. And honestly, Rick, if it's not or when it's not, it happens. When you grow and you become a national movement, you're going to have a few people that don't agree with everything you do. And that's okay. In fact, that's welcome. Because mm -hmm. if everybody agreed with what I did, I'm not sure how exciting it would be. I'm not sure how much passion I would have to break down systems if those systems just lied down when I came at them. You know what I mean? I mean, I wouldn't blame them. Yeah. Well, a little bit of pushback. A little bit of pushback's sure. fine. But yeah, I think yeah. it just really needs to be said that, you know, an organization is an organization. It's not their founder. And I think that their founder is a really important part of it. But again, in every organization, if you develop that that founder syndrome piece where it's all about you, you lose why you built the organization in the first place. So this is a really beautiful transition for me. It's like I've been in this cocoon and I finally get to fly out of this, what I felt I was being put in a bit of a box. You know, like when you're the head of an organization and the board report and the CEO, you're put in a box. Mm -hmm. You are expected to act a certain way and talk a certain way and be a certain way. And I am not going to do any of those things. But what I will do is have the insight and the people around me to support me in understanding that the best thing I can do is bring somebody on who loves to do what they're told. That's the worst way to put it. But who loves to do the, the process-oriented pieces, who really love to make sure that all those pieces are in line. Whereas I like to get out there and really disrupt the status quo to make sure that it's better, not just for our kids, but their kids. And I'm not pumping your tires here, even <laughs> well, though it's yeah, easy to can. do so. <laughs> but what's interesting is... You as a as a very big personality. No. Yes. And <laughs> as you move around the community, I, I find that person is probably going to get way more traction uh, to build an organization. Because let's face it, you could have put your same energy into private, sure. in the private industry, sure. and done very, very well. Thank you. Yeah. But instead, you, you had a higher purpose, and I respect that. But what I'm thinking is if you don't have those, those big personalities pushing an idea and thought forward just through the grit of their teeth i find that your your brand and your profile and all that stuff if if people hear about it and hear more of it and they go oh there's that shannon and and all of a sudden you have this this bigger than life person yeah. then all of a sudden you get that branding that profile from a marketing standpoint that's yeah. really it gets you elected as counselor. Well, so, no, that is no. I said no. <laughs> there will be no running for anything. I'm just saying. But, but again, that goes to sh that goes to speak to the whole highest and and best use of our time. I love being part of our community in so many different ways, but it does bring additional eyes. You know, the bigger you get, the more people are watching you. And so for the thousand people that might be saying how great you are, you're going to have five now telling you that, you know, I'm not sure that's the best way to go about things. And and that's hard because those five are louder to me than the other thousand. And that's something I'm working on to change right now. Mm -hmm. Because for those thousand people, um, I'm not sure why I'm giving five people uh, any more clout or time or energy or rent-free space in my head than I am to the thousand people who believe in me. Right. And I mean, that's just silly. <laughs> Well, it, it, it is. And, and uh, I'll use the sports analogy because I love these. Oh, look at you, old sportsman. <laughs> 
Is is Tiger Woods was once asked why he's like 46 on the tour for coming out of the sand. <clears throat> and he said, because I'm not good out of the sand. Right. So I focus on drives and putting and short game. Right. And and I'm good at that. Yeah. So that's what you're saying is is focus on your strengths. Well, that's it. And I think that the I, the biggest way we get in our own way is by focusing on the sand pit, the sand trap. You know, it's kind of like um, we get really stuck on what we can't do. And that's as mothers, that's as employees, that's as entrepreneurs, founders. It's in every single role. We get stuck in that mindset of what we can't do. But really, that's living in scarcity. And what we work on all day, every day at Mamas is moving our mamas from that space of scarcity into a space of abundance. And the same thing goes for us who work there. You know, I always have to remind our team that everything we say outwardly, we need to say more internally. You know, we say to every mom or dad coming into our shop, you never have to pay for the help you need with your dignity. And I say that to my team too. Do not ever let people treat you poorly just because you work in charity and they think they can walk all over you. Absolutely not. You're my hero. You're that mom's hero and you should be their hero. So let me know if you need help. Wow. Okay. So what are you saying though? Are you saying the the dignity piece is that be- so they're receiving a hand up? Right. So they shouldn't. We we shouldn't a good demean. We right. shouldn't demean to so, in order to give that help. That's exactly it. You know, if a mama comes in and she's looking for certain items, and we're like, "Well, here you go. Take this. It's better than nothing." That's asking you to pay for the help you need with your dignity. Mm. If you're treated poorly or you're put through the ringer and you've got to do 19 applications just to access a small amount of funding, that really is putting you in a position of having to pay for the help you need with how you feel about yourself. You have to explain to them how poor you are, explain to them how hard off you are. You have to explain to them just how much you're struggling. And sometimes you have to explain it to five or six different people before you get that $200 rental subsidy. Mm -hmm. Well, I call BS. You know, you can talk to one person at Mama's. We will make sure the rest of our team has the information. You know, you might go through our sustainable nourishment program, our court support victim service program. You might go through our at-risk homelessness program um, and our mental health program. And you only saw one person for an intake. That is not paying for the help you need with your dignity. That's a good point, though, that the, the sharing the story. And I think uh, the Child Advocacy Center is like that, too. They're really good like that. They're really They're, good. And that was the whole model there is and like... You say it once and... Stop re-traumatizing yes. these mamas and these kiddos. And and the same thing happens when you're coming to a nonprofit team and you're, you know, continuously going after them for, for whatever it is. It's like, just let them do the work. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have to go back and forth 15 times with a, I don't know... a a clinic of some kind to get a free service. I'm going to, I don't know, massage. This doesn't happen in Kelowna at all. So, but if you had to go back and forth 15 times to get a mama a free massage, you've now spent four hours of a social worker's time. It really is asking our organization to pay for the help we need with our dignity, our time, our energy. Um, It's making uh, our team feel like their time is worth less. And that's certainly not the case. They're paid for it less because that's what we can afford a nonprofit. Um, but at the end of the day, we might be in it for the outcome, not the income, but I still want to make sure they're paid in the kindness currency that they deserve. Well said. Each diamond is uniquely different. It is special and beautiful because of its rarity. That is the power and magic of a diamond. A new store in Kelowna is open to showcase this symbol of love and commitment. Herrera, fine jewelry. The name in Latin means rare and exceptional. Much like a diamond is extraordinary and rare, just like her. Herrera, fine jewelry. 
featuring Takuri, Noam Kava, Burks, and Simon G. Jewelry. Quite a few questions I want to try and rip off here. Um, affordable housing, and, and then we'll get into homelessness, but affordable housing, Kelowna. Yep. How... Is there a role for Mamas for Mamas with... There is. Okay. Yep. So it's called it's, Nana's House, and it's a, it's a whole situation. But here's the thing, Rick. The one thing about Mamas for Mamas is we don't want to do anything that's already being done and being done well. So we're in that initial kind of phase of a needs assessment. A needs assessment as a community, we need like 700 rental units yesterday to just not even fill the gap. Mm-hmm. But what we need is not just places for people to live. We need long-term rentals because as soon as you buy it, it becomes an Airbnb. As soon as a home goes under purchase, it is no longer available for a long-term rental for a family. There's, I don't know, maybe 2% of the houses that used to be available for long-term rentals are now short-term rentals, Airbnb, which is great for the owner of the home and no shade thrown. I mean, I think that's a great business model for a private enterprise. But in this case, it's really negatively impacting the amount of homes that are available for our families, especially those who've got children, you know, two or three kids that are boys and girls and need different rooms. Right. So if you have kids over the age of 12 of different genders, they need separate rooms. So now you're looking at a three-bedroom, not a two-bedroom, 2800 minimum for a three-bedroom in Kelowna. Oh, minimum. Minimum. Yeah, yeah. So we really need to kind of remove the monopoly in many ways as to um, the short-term rentals. And we need to make sure that there are, and I'm not saying take away the ability to do the short-term rentals. I'm saying build more exclusively rental market homes. Get them rent to own by these families, maybe. I don't know. But Nana's house is something that our team has conceptualized over the last little while, named after my Nana, who started the motherless baby's home in Lagos when she was an expat many years ago. And the idea was just that you provide a safe place for moms between shelter and their forever home. This model already exists. It's second stage housing. But what we want to do is have a social enterprise uh, with a daycare attached. So the very bottom floor will be a daycare. And then the rest of the 12 floors, because it'll be a 12 floor building, uh, the higher risk the mamas, the higher in the building they will be. We'll have on-site social workers and counselors living, similar to Care Society, uh, but not addictions based. It will be for all trauma, poverty relief, and general resettlement of families who have been through exceptional levels of trauma, separation, MCFD involvement, um, you name it. You know, this is a place for people to come back together, reconnect with their families, um, really just get the mental health and emotional support they need to get the hand up out of that poverty and into a space where it's not cyclical for them anymore. Right. So, you know, kind of the more you graduate through this Nana's house, you get closer and closer to the ground floor. And once you're on like the first floor, it's totally independent living. You know, you're paying your full rent. You're on the 12th floor. You don't pay a, a cent. By the time, the closer you get down to the ground floor, the closer you are to being grounded, the closer you are to being able to be on your own. Love the metaphor. Right? Thank yeah. you. I literally just made that up and I'm totally <laughs> using it again. But but that's the idea is yeah. Mamas wants to be part of the solution. We don't want to be the Walmart of nonprofit. We're not trying to come in and take over in any way for any reason. We're not good enough to do that. We don't know anything about a lot of these other industries, but we know how to connect the industries, the nonprofit um, companies and organizations that are doing the work, we know how to connect them to bring them together to help them build that safety net, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So Nana's house is just part of the safety net. Well, it's a, an auspicious goal. 
I mean, for one. Um, I don't know. I think it could probably be done by next year. I'm just kidding. That one's actually probably two years, <laughs> at least. <laughs> you, you. No, I've actually taken a few meetings about it. It's actually a pretty viable project. There's some pretty significant government funding for programs just like this. <laughs> just okay. saying. So let's talk about uh, homelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it was a big deal in, in the election cycle. Yeah. Are we getting closer to something resembling a diminishing of population or do you think it's just gonna because you you see it from your organization where you're yeah yeah, like you're trying to keep people out of the tube out of the feeder tube i think that it's honestly and unfortunately just getting worse until we start to look at the bigger picture of housing first um you know we're really taking a punitive approach to housing as as a society and we're basically saying it's your fault you're not housed prove to me that you deserve to be Um, that's wrong Rick, I will tell you that's not the right way to do it. It's not the trauma-informed approach that the individuals living out need. And it's not the approach that our community needs to be able to uh, build out the longer table with them instead of the higher fence. So right now we're building higher fences. We need to tear down the fences. And guess what? We can use the same wood, same nails, and we'll even get the same guys to build it. But it's going to be a longer table. And what that looks like is it's really, it's bringing out a lot of the places that have been built recently uh, are doing a great job. The facilities that are bringing folks off the street, giving them access to mental health support, social work support, individuals who experience a great number of adverse childhood experiences and have trauma throughout their lives are very difficult to house. Those individuals are difficult to house because they struggle internally with so many different things and they don't want to be confined into a box. They don't want to be told how to live because that was part of their trauma, right? So we can't re-traumatize individuals by telling them where to go and how to do it. We need to give them options and we need to give them opportunities to get there. We need to remove the barriers and ensure that they know where to go for the help. But it's this pardon me, this punitive approach to individuals living in poverty that perpetuates the cycle of homelessness and having to pay for the help you need with your dignity. Mm-hmm. So housing first just needs to be a policy and we need to stop making it about politics and about the people. Okay. Speaking of politics, mm-hmm. uh, Roe versus Wade. Oh, snap. You went there. You did. Now, I'm talking to Shannon. I'm not talking. I'm just talking to Shannon. <laughs> okay. So Shannon is is a person she has her own thoughts and beliefs and and obviously uh, you know i i was sad when i first read about that mm-hmm. for the us and this is again a us issue but of course for now for now but fundamentally it just it it just felt like like i was literally i was reading it on my step of my garage and i was reading the article and i just thought is this is this where we're going? Is this who we are? Right. And it, and it just fundamentally made me sad. And I've had different people on the on the show. And and again, I I don't want to open up the old volatility box. Well, I kind of do, but ah, well, poke the old bear. <laughs> but it seems to me like it, like I said, I personally felt like a part of me died yeah. when when I read about that. What, what was your thoughts? Well, I think that the frustrating thing for us is once again, um, you know, big policy decisions being made by men are impacting low-income non-white women. And, you know, I think the biggest thing, the biggest frustration for me out of all of that was who the hell do you think you are um, having an entire... <laughs> 
generation of belief system changed. Um, I understand a great deal of kind of where this came from in this ethos. And I don't even think we need to dive into that. I think the etiology is pretty clear with the uh, the political climate down there and the devaluation of women as a rule, not an exception. It's pretty obvious um, that there is a general assault on women in the mm-hmm. States. And it's horrifying. Um, removing somebody's access to their reproductive rights is just as archaic as it gets. Um, and regardless of my belief system around abortion, I think that taking away the right to health care in any capacity is immoral, unethical, and downright illegal. And it pisses me off. I thought I would get a good answer, and I did. <laughs> no, With but, that said, if anyone's coming up from the States and needs a safe place to go camping, come to Mama's. <laughs> But it, it it is true. I I feel like we just turned back the clock and it and like it, sixty years. Yeah, and and it uh, again. I knew you'd have an opinion. You didn't disappoint as always. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. we, we never have enough time for these things. I know, but and, but listen, this has been a hoot. It's been a hoot and a holler, actually, <laughs> if I may. Um, and we. I just love the fact that, you know, you continue to be you, and I think that's that's the way this organization really grew out of out of an idea and I think that's great and I think it's wonderful that you just keep on keeping on. Thanks man. Well, and at the end of the day, Mama's is um so incredibly important to me and I'll just do anything I can for her just like a mom would for her daughter. It's like uh but at some point you have to give her a little bit of space and stop helicopter parenting and give her a chance to go to the dance without a chaperone. Except Mama Matt's her chaperone now, so good luck girl. <laughs> <laughs> Shannon Christensen, thanks so much. Thanks, Rick.